Hello and welcome to the podcast for the April 2011 issue of The Lancet Oncology. Richard Lane here and this month I'm joined by TLO's editor, Dr. David Collingridge, to discuss some of the issue highlights and we do have an author interview as well, more of that in a moment. But David, welcome. Let's uh, take us through the issue briefly if you would. Uh, thank you, Richard. Well, the April issue of TLO is a very busy one with um, a large variety of content this month. One of the highlights is the executive summary of the Breast Health Global Initiative Summit held in Chicago last year and is published to coincide with a series of companion articles that will appear as a supplement in the Breast Journal. The lead author of this executive summary and director of the BHGI, Professor Benjamin Anderson, will be joining us shortly to discuss this initiative and the latest series of guidelines. Elsewhere in the issue this month, we also have two articles from IARC in Lyon, France, the first is a report from the Monograph Group looking at carcinogenicity of various chemicals in industrial and consumer products, and the second, a review from Paul Brennan and colleagues on the genetics of lung cancer susceptibility. We also have the latest NICE guidance, this time on azocytidine for MDS, CML and AML, and we editorialise on the issues surrounding the shortages of chemotherapy drugs in the United States. Amongst the research pages this month, we have six articles covering the use of zalatumumab, for recurrent or metastatic squamous cell carcinoma of the head and neck, colonic stenting versus emergency surgery for malignant colonic obstruction, a study on the proportion of second cancers attributable to radiotherapy, the use of temsirolimus and rituximab in patients with relapsed or refractory mantle cell lymphoma, motezanib or open-label bevacizumab in combination with paclitaxel for first-line treatment of HER2-negative locally recurrent or metastatic breast cancer, and finally, a case control study looking at the association between a specific type of KRAS variant and triple negative breast cancer. So a busy issue, but hopefully some very important clinical messages that I hope readers will find useful. And perhaps on that note, I'd like to hand back to Richard, who will now discuss the BHGI initiative with Professor Anderson. Yes, thanks, David, and thanks for pronouncing those drug names so expertly. Well, a few days ago, I was fortunate enough to interview Professor Benjamin Anderson, his University of Washington and Fred Hutchinson Cancer Center in Seattle, to discuss the latest on the Breast Health Global Initiative, which you may recall we discussed on the podcast a few months ago. Professor Anderson, many thanks indeed for talking once again to the Lancet Oncology. We spoke a few months ago concerning the topic we're going to talk about today, which is the Breast Health Global Initiative, important reporting in the April issue of the Lancet Oncology about a consensus summit that was held last year. But just for context, please, for people who didn't hear our interview a few months ago, can you just remind us about what the Breast Health Global Initiative is and how it came to be? Well, thank you very much, Richard. We're very happy to be, again, able to... Uh, participate with Lancet Oncology. And the Breast Health Global Initiative is a program that was started in 2002, the purpose of which was to address breast health care in the context of low and middle resource countries. The idea is that there are some things that we do in breast cancer that are uh, very effective and affordable. There are other things that we do are effective but very costly. And the question becomes, how do we arrange uh, activities in ways that are functional in the setting of limited resources where not all of the pieces are typically available or present. Perhaps you could just remind us because we're talking specifically about the outcomes of a meeting that was held last year in Chicago. Your aim at that meeting was it to, to agree some consensus statements for how breast cancer should be detected, assessed and treated in different resource settings. Is that right? Well, that's exactly right. This was the fourth 
global summit of the Breast Health Global Initiative that was held in Chicago. We've used the global summit model as a way of uh, pulling together experts to develop consensus opinions. The first three global summits focused on guideline development. Cancer care works by guidelines, by following algorithms, using evidence to uh, implement strategies that will minimize the chances of cancer recurrence. And a key concept of the Breast Health Global Initiative's guidelines was this idea of resource stratification, that there's some resources that are absolutely critical and must be uh, available. Uh, you have to be able to provide surgery and operate on breast cancer. Uh, you need to have pathology resources that can prove that it's actually cancer. And then there are other resources that are, are important, will increase survival. And then there's some resources that are really too expensive and actually don't offer uh, adequate value to be a appropriate for the low and middle resource setting. And so this fourth global summit, the key issue is, well, how do we move forward? How do we take this guideline framework and apply it in a way that is meaningful and practical and goes beyond the academic exercise of, of creating these system-based uh, solutions? And so the Global Summit in 2010 in Chicago uh, focuses on uh, optimization of resource utilization. How do you build programs in the real-world environment? And in this summit, we focused in three areas. We focused on the low-resource environment. We focused then on the middle-resource environment. And these are using the definitions that the World Bank defines for countries. And then the third day was problem-solving. How, how do we bring this all together in ways that are, are practical and realistic? Just in terms of how you reached, if you like, the end, end of that meeting must be uh, challenging in itself. What kind of methodology do you need for a summit like that so that you can actually agree the consensus by the end of the meeting? The methods that we have been using is a, it, it's a combination of evidence review and expert consensus opinion. And so, of course, we want to bring all of the evidence together. We do a literature search. We have uh, our literature library catalog available online and made all of that information available and, of course, invited key participants who have helped generate this literature to the meeting. Then for each of those three areas, low resource, middle resource, and problem solving, we pull together an expert panel of physicians and nurses and healthcare administrators and uh, other leaders to address these questions in, a, in a, uh, uh, an organized fashion. We follow the, the model that the National Comprehensive Cancer Network in the U.S. uses of this uh, consensus model. Once we reviewed the materials in Chicago, we then wrote the manuscripts together in a collaborative uh, fashion and with uh, significant internal review and correction and editing to make these the best statements that we could about the the, the uh, work that was done. What's being published in Lancet Oncology is the executive summary of that, that uh, overall conference in Chicago. What were the main challenges, do you think, just in summary, that the expert panel came up with at that meeting? Certainly every country has its own uh, challenges, and including, including the, those of us from uh, countries of, that are of uh, much higher level resources. But I, I would say to generalize, in the low resource setting, overall systematic disorganization is a, is a major issue, that patients are, are not getting uh, comprehensive care in a way that would be anticipated to improve outcome. Uh, we thought that the biggest challenges for the, the uh, low-income countries really related to the systematic disorganization as well as the fact that the community is largely unaware of the cancer 
problem. If you go to uh, many countries in Africa, uh, women may be unaware that breast cancer is the most common cancer among women around the globe, and they may have a fatalistic attitude that, well, why would one go in for early detection because you're just going to die of this, aren't you? And, and so th that the social misconceptions, community awareness, key issues. In the middle resource settings, uh, there's much better uh, awareness. The countries of Latin America are where we've been uh, doing work. Uh, I think this is, is uh, uh, much more true. And diagnosis and treatment is, is much more likely to be intact. But the women are presenting with late-stage disease, with advanced-stage disease, where it's very difficult to improve on outcome. And so having systems for collecting uh, data and in these communities and, and identifying how to make networks functional in this, uh, the middle resource settings, we thought were uh, key uh, issues for uh, improvement. Did it follow naturally or obviously that uh, the way that breast cancer should be managed in countries was dictated to whether they fitted according to the World Bank into low resource country or middle middle income resource country or were was it not as simple as that? Could there be countries in the lowest, if you like, category of in terms of resources where actually certain breast cancer approaches may have been appropriate whereas in in, in other in other low country resource settings they wouldn't be? Well, you're exactly right that there is heterogeneity within uh, countries, and it's not just an economic question. In fact, I would say that while uh, an economic framework is a good beginning point, it's, it's uh, terribly over overly simplistic because a lot of the solutions really have to do with how one organizes one's uh, systems. And so within the low income and within the middle income uh, settings, as defined by World Bank, there are some countries that are clearly doing better in terms of uh, five-year survival than others. And so the question, what can we learn from the countries that are successful, with, that have been able to uh, implement these strategies in ways that are are working. In, indeed, even in the uh, U.S. and in Great uh, Britain, certainly in the U.S., we have heterogeneity here where the, there are underserved communities that have measurably worsened outcome in comparison to uh, uh, other communities, and, uh, and it's not simply a matter of wealth. That's why the social considerations and cultural issues are a critical aspect of what we look at. Are there any general conclusions that the panel drew from the consensus meeting concerning the way that breast cancer should be managed across different economic groups? Yes, there are. So it, certainly the uh, having adequate data is a key issue. And so uh, cancer registries, uh, while they can be expensive, are really quite important. And having at least basic recording systems about the prevalence and stage of disease and treatment outcomes was something that was agreed upon to be quite important in uh, regions throughout the world. We think that uh, the National Cancer Plan, they need to define healthcare networks where you have centers of excellence. This was recognized in the first global summit that you need to begin with centers of excellence, but then you need to create networks that provide access. Because often in countries, the urban areas will have better outcome than the rural areas simply by virtue of access. And so the question, how do we do this in effective ways that are cost effective? This is where national cancer plans come in. Certainly, adapting resource-adapted, multidisciplinary centers is important. There are some diseases that can be treated in a single intervention, a cleft 
lip, a cleft palate, can be repaired in, in, a, in a single setting. Cancer does not work that way. And in fact, it requires the, the multidisciplinary interaction. It involves surgery, it involves radiology, it involves radiation oncology, medical oncology, pathology. And so making these, these systems functional is a, a key issue in health policy reform. Certainly, training is something that is needed at all levels. If the medical community is not aware, then they're unlikely to administer the care in an optimal fashion. So training of physicians and non-physician staff is, is important, as is public awareness. The public needs to know what it is that they can do, both so that they are participants in the process and because it's often the public that drives reform uh, measures, and uh, therefore it's needed. There's some basic tools, uh, clinical breast examination, clinical evaluation with a history and physical uh, is uh, often not done in these settings. It's a simple tool, it is not expensive, and it's basic. You can't actually do breast surgery if you don't have clinical breast examination. There needs to be coordination between the diagnostic, surgical, and radiology services as we've talked about. And palliative care is also extremely important for quality of life. There are many countries where they have inadequate access to uh, morphine for pain relief, and uh, these quality of life issues have to be brought into the multidisciplinary context. Tissue sampling pathology services are often missing, particularly in environments that are more focused on infectious disease than on uh, cancer services. And so basic level tissue sampling and pathology analysis must be uh, made available in an organized way. There are many barriers to uh, drug access uh, that are uh, problematic and uh, needs to be coordinated. We need to have cancer drugs available and in ways that the, the pharmacies aren't running out uh, midway through uh, protocol. And certainly the workforce issues, the adequate nursing staff, how to maintain people in country and allow them to work in ways that are effective is very important. Professionalism is a key issue. I think everyone knows how important nurses are. Professionalism within nursing is, uh, is a key issue as an example of how we can uh, bring these together. So these, these were the core recommendations of the overall group. And finally, the $64 million question. Now that you have found a clear consensus from the work of the Breast Health Global Initiative, it feels like a journey that the BHGI has been on. Where are you now in this journey? What happens next? Well, you're certainly right, and uh, BHGI has been an incredible journey, and, and there the, the journey continues. Uh, we've recognized that the guideline creation was a, an initial step, but that to make it real, we need to... Uh, implement projects and implement them not just in the sense of, well, let's go do good things, but implement them in ways that are measurable, where we can have pilot projects that demonstrate improved outcome. So we're now developing uh, situation analysis tools that help one assess readiness, you know, what is it that we need to implement, and then we're uh, developing projects and looking for funding for them to implement these ways using qualitative and quantitative research methodology to assess how are we improving outcome. We have a project that's been ongoing in Bogota, Colombia, where an education project targeted at the uh, physicians, nurses, and hospital staff is showing improved outcome in terms of compliance with mammographic screening and number of cancers 
diagnosed. Ultimately, the goal is to create models that can be scaled up in ways that are uh, appropriate to resources and sustainable with existing resources. So that, you know, if we go do a project, but when we stop, so does the activity, that's actually a failure. That you need to design projects that can actually be implemented in, uh, in a way that the internal resources will make it continue once the direction has been started. And that, that's absolutely a core value for the Breast Health Global Initiative. So we see ourselves moving into the world of implementation research, collaborating with experts in this area as we ourselves are learning how this actually works in an effective uh, way. I, I think it's this networking with other organizations that is really the key to success and improvement and outcome around the globe. In addition to the Breast Health Global Initiative, are there any other parallel initiatives going on which obviously has resonance here and is going to further contribute to the management of breast cancer at, at the global level? There are many global activities and initiatives that are happening right now. I think this is a very exciting time. The United Nations has a meeting coming up in September on non-communicable diseases that I think is very important. I am certainly hopeful that cancer becomes an explicitly referenced issue given that it is becoming the most common reason for people to die around the globe. I think that the International Atomic Energy Agency, IAEA, and their group PACT uh, has been working on how to improve cancer in the setting of uh, low and middle resource countries. They have a program on uh, creating a virtual university, developing online activities where people can be provided education and training with examinations that I think can, can really make our education and training more effective. I think that this is a, a very important area. The Harvard Global Equity Initiative, uh, led by Felicia Nall uh, in Boston, I think is a very exciting effort where they're looking at cancer in a more global way and looking at how to improve drug access, among other activities. I think that uh, they are very important. And I am uh, certainly indebted and uh, should acknowledge the international work of Susan G. Komen for The Cure, which has been doing outreach throughout the globe, led by Nancy Brinker. I see that this is a, a, as a series of very important efforts. Advocacy and communication about awareness may be one of the most important interventions that we can do around the globe. It's incredibly important work, and uh, it's great to um, talk about it again. Professor Baron Anderson on the line from Seattle in the United States. Many thanks indeed for talking once again to the Lancet Oncology. Thank you for your time, Richard.